been in Jeremiah before, immediately what God called Jeremiah to witness. Verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, I, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, I cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord of hosts. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant. And if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good, wherewith I have said I would benefit them. Father, I pray your blessing will help us to see what you want us to see today as we look through Jeremiah's eyes at the potter and the clay. Have your way, Lord, I pray that sincerely, and I pray that each of us will make that our prayer this morning. Have thine own way, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed with me and said amen. The art of pottery is one of the oldest arts in the world, and the amazing thing is that with all of the advancement of science and technology, it is the one art that remains essentially the same. I won't say virtually the same. There's a few minor changes. Instead of being powered by a foot treadle, now there's an electric motor that spins the wheel. But the work of the craftsman with the clay is essentially the same. This past summer, I had opportunity to visit uh, the potter's house again and watch with awesome wonder the hands of this craftsman as he takes a rough piece of clay, brittle and common, and begin to work it and soften it, put moisture to it, and then place it on that wheel and with what's in his mind, fashion and design a beautiful vessel and a useful vessel. And God, by the Holy Spirit, directed the attention of Jeremiah to the potter's house and what Jeremiah saw about 700 years before Christ was born is essentially the same thing I saw last summer. As a man took clay and placed it on the wheel and fashioned it according to his design, what was in his mind and heart to do, God said, 
explaining the whole picture. Behold, am I not able, cannot I do with you as this potter does with his clay? For behold, as the clay is in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I want us to share that illustrated message this morning from Jeremiah's experience. And we know the primary message is God's dealing with the nation of Israel. And I feel as though we can apply the principles and promises that emerge from verses 7 through verse 9 for America. If indeed God is able to take nation, the nation of Israel, and give them a second chance, I believe God would also do the same for our country. If we will meet the conditions, let's look at it again just with that in mind. Verse 7, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation concerning a kingdom to pluck up and pull down and destroy. If that nation against whom I have pronounced this turn from their evil and repent of that evil, I will repent of the evil I thought unto it. But he said, if in what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and kingdom to build and plant, and if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I would benefit them. And I pray for our country this morning that somehow we will fit into the category where the Word of God would be precious to us as Americans and that God would indeed be able to fashion us again. Because I'm persuaded, just as Israel became marred in God's hand, America has also, from its original conception and ideas and ideals, become marred as well. And we need, again, God to fashion us anew. And he can repent of the benefit that he wanted to bless us with, or he can repent of the evil that we deserve in judgment to receive from him. And I pray God will help us. As the salt of the earth, as the part of this country that knows him, and if my people, called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. So the responsibility comes right home to us, doesn't it? It's our responsibility as the people of God. Now, looking through Jeremiah's experience, let's give you the direction we'll follow together. It's obvious that in this experience of the potter, there is a vessel designed it's in his heart and mind. Jeremiah is living proof that not only for nations but for people, the master potter, are we not as clay in his hands? New Testament tells us in Romans and Corinthians, can the clay say to the potter who makes it, what are you doing with me? Can we challenge the expertise or experience or design of the one who is working it all out in our life? So God personally makes application of this truth in our life. There is a vessel design. Jeremiah says in the very beginning chapters that while he was in his mother's womb, while he was yet in the tender stages of being formed, God knew him and God saw him and 
God had a design for him. As a prophet of God, he was called of God before he was born. That speaks volumes to me this morning to say not only was that a unique experience to Jeremiah, but I am persuaded the Lord saw me and he saw you in the formative stages while we were still as a fetus in our mother's womb and he had a design for us. He had a will and a purpose. We are not just a happenstance. God placed us here in his creative omniscience and he had a design purpose for us to fulfill. We call it the will of God. For Jeremiah it was to be the mouthpiece of God and to speak the message of the Lord to a backslidden people and to call their attention and their affections back to the living God. But that didn't happen when he was a man. It happened before he was born. God had a plan and a purpose for his life. And he found it and he fulfilled that purpose of the Lord in his life. But that vessel can become damaged. That vessel that he designs can become damaged. But the damaged vessel can become a duplicated vessel. He can make it again another vessel. And I appreciate being able to preach the gospel of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that he can take the broken pieces of our lives and make something beautiful. He can refashion us to fulfill the purpose that he has for our lives. And there's such great hope in this picture this morning for believers, for people who say, Pastor, I feel like I know what God's original purpose and intent for me is, but I made some bad choices and I have, I have messed up and we've sung that little chorus, here's my cup, Lord, I lift it up, Lord. And for some of us this morning, we need to edit that chorus and say, fix my cup, Lord, I've messed it up, Lord. And we come to him this morning recognizing that perhaps what he had originally thought for us or designed us for, we have made some bad decisions and moved in wrong directions and have gone our own willful way and perhaps say now, what's, is there any hope? Is there any chance for me? What now of the will of God for my life? And I think we can only look south to Florida, to Cape Kennedy, and what we have witnessed reoccurrence of in our generation of men sending rockets and spaceships into orbit and to the moon and beyond. That as these crafts were designed and built and ready for launch, the technicians and scientists, experts sat down and mapped out a flight plan from that launching pad to where the destination, wherever that was, that they had selected. But at launch, rarely, if ever, did those vehicles follow the chart that had been graphed for them. There are so many variables. It would either veer to the right or to the left or turn one direction or another, the fuel would burn too fast or not fast enough, and it didn't follow the prescribed course that had been set out by the scientists from the beginning. But our space program was not left in defeat because of that particular problem. They would 
find out where it was and chart where it should be going and they would work fast and furiously with the computers to redesign a new trajectory so that it would have a mid-course correction and it would be on its way toward the original intention that they had for it from the very beginning. Now I submit to if NASA can do that with our rockets, I believe God can do that with his children. And that he can take us where we have veered off course and he can reprogram and give us a new trajectory for our lives and get us back on the track and get us back on course and be right where God wants us to be because that vessel that has been damaged can be duplicated. God who created us, who knew before we ever were created, we were going to mess up. How many know it's no surprise to God when I stub my toe? He knows the way that I take. He knows my down-sitting. He knows my uprising. It's no surprise to God what takes place in our lives, and he anticipates and makes provision, and he is able to redeem our mistakes. Aren't you glad? And he can take us from where we are, where we have veered off course, and with a mid-course correction, get us back headed toward fulfillment of his purpose and will and destiny for our lives. We are designed by God. We are like that lump of clay. In fact, that's the picture that the Bible paints of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are just a clay pot for this morning. It's not the clay pot that has any value. It's the glory that resides in us. It's Christ in me that's the hope of glory. So we don't look at the vessel. We look at what it is designed to do and what it contains. Hallelujah. What a privilege we have this morning to be containers of the glory of God, to be the containers of the very presence of the living God himself. He said, I will be with you and I shall be in you. And he has come to reside and abide within my life. He knows my frame. He remembers I'm just dust. To dust I came, from dust I came, and to dust I will return. This is a clay vessel, and he has taken and will mold and shape me into what he has designed for me. As I visited that potter, potter's house, I watched this elderly gentleman as he took that softened clay and after he had worked with it and squeezed it and twisted it and kneaded it and put moisture with it, and it was completely responsive to his touch, he described for us what he was doing, and he said, now what we do is called throwing the clay. And he just simply plopped it down on the center of that wooden wheel. And he, we saw it kind of wobble like this. And he took his hands on both sides and just moved it gently to, from side to side until it didn't wobble anymore. And it was perfectly centered. And he said, nothing can be made of this clay until it is centered on the wheel. 
Now, the Holy Spirit has to put that in your heart this morning. I wish I could do that, but I can't. He has to be the one to say to you, I can't do a thing with you until I become the center of your life. As long as you're self-centered, as long as you're off-center, there isn't a thing the master potter can do. He cannot fashion a vessel out of clay off-center on the wheel. It's impossible. And so the first thing he did after it was responsive to his touch was center it on the wheel. And we have to make Jesus Christ the absolute center and Lord of our life. It's not just that we have an, Jesus as an adjunct to our lives and now we, have, we go about doing life and, and business as usual. Now we've just added Jesus to our schedule. No, friend, you can't do that. He's got to be the Lord of your life. And when he becomes Lord, his hands begin to work the craft in your heart and in your life, fashioning you according to what he has designed you for. It's in his mind. The shape and the size and, and the design is in the mind of the potter, and he's working, caressing that clay into the shape that he wants it to be. Hallelujah. But you have to first find your center in Jesus Christ. How many know your, your life wiggles and wobbles all over the place until you find your center in Jesus Christ? It just, I mean, you're all over the place. But there's a place of peace, and there's no wiggle left when you get right in the center. There's no wobbling. There's no vacillating, no back and forth. And if you're having a problem with that, that's what you need to have this morning in this service. If you're wobbling back and forth, you need to be centered on the wheel. You need to make a total and absolute resolution to say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, and I want him to have his way with me. I want his will to be performed in my life. You say, oh, pastor, I'm afraid to do that. If I sing, I surrender all, I just know he'll send me off to Pango Pango. And I don't want to go to Pango Pango. You know who's made you think that way? The devil. Because it is, has been his purpose from the very beginning to get people to fear to trust in God. Friend, let me tell you, you don't have to be afraid to trust God. He loves you too much to do anything to you that you don't want. He knows what you're designed for. He knows what you're made for. He knows what you can do and what you can't do. He has a place where you fit and a purpose where you fill. He'll put you right in that place. If you'll submit your body, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, your reasonable service, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you can prove what is that good. Hear me now good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, going your own way, can you improve on that? Good, acceptable, and perfect. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. I want what you want for me. Submission and surrender to the will of God, centered in him and submitted to surrendered to him. Go back with me to the book of Jeremiah, rather Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 45. 
Isaiah 45. While you're turning, I'll give you the context. The prophet Isaiah is giving Israel the message that God's going to set them free. They have been slaves, made slaves of the Babylonian government because of their sin. God is bringing chastening judgment, and they have served that time. God, through Isaiah, is saying, now I'm going to bring you out of that captivity and return you to your home. And the way I'm going to do that, verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Now, you need to understand, Cyrus was not an Israelite. He was anything but. He was a pagan king. And they just could not understand how God could possibly use uh, a pagan king to do anything or to call him his anointed. But how many know in the process of God's working out his design, we're not really at all aware of why or how he accomplishes that. And just the minute we begin to think God's predictable, look out. He does it his own way. Isaiah said, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. So in this process of revolutions on this wheel, God is working all things in his own time and in his own way. And there's some important verses that have to do with the potter and the clay in verses 9 through 11, and I'm going to read them. Just follow with me. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he has no hands. Now this is a very critical complaint. It's finding fault, and it's saying, God, you're all thumbs. Have you ever tried to do something and someone watching you said, Man, you're messing that up. You're just, you're all thumbs. Some people are gifted with their hands and they, they're blessed. I mean, they, obviously the potter has to be that, that kind of a person who by the skill of their hands are able to fashion and form and do things and we would try that and we'd have clay all over the place. And so what Isaiah is saying here is, can the one who's being fashioned say, what are you doing? You have no hands. Now, for the athletes that are here, if you're a wide receiver and uh, you've got hard hands and the ball hits and bounces off, you get a reputation. He has no what? He has no hands. He can't catch the ball. So pretty much what Isaiah is saying, as far as Israel is concerned, they're saying, God, you can't catch the ball. You have no hands. You're, you're all thumbs. You can't do this. And as I watched the potter there in that potter's house, he would kind of squeeze the outside and go straight up with it like this, and it, was, it just was a cylinder, and I felt God do that in my spirit, and I thought, by now I'm growing. Man, am I growing. But you know, when he got that cylinder up at the top, he put both hands like this at the top and pushed it all the way back to the bottom again. 
And I felt that too in my spirit. And I said, God, you know, will I ever make any progress? Here I was. I thought I was growing, and now I'm back lower than I was before. But you see, he was making one dimension in me this way, and then he was widening me and giving another proportion of dimension here. And we can't question where God is leading us and how he's leading us to say, God, do you know what you're doing? Have you ever asked God that? Boy, if I were God, I would do it different than that. Like the little boy sitting under the oak tree. And there was a watermelon patch close by, and he looked up and he thought, boy, God kind of goofed this up. Here's a mighty oak tree designed to carry one little acorn. And then next to him, there was a thin little frail vine with a 30-pound watermelon on it. I would have done that differently. I would have put the little acorn on the vine, the watermelon up on those big stout limbs. About that time, the acorn dropped out on his head. He said, thank God that wasn't a watermelon. He does all things well. And it's not at all the way we expected. Not at all what we would have done. But aren't you glad he's the craftsman? He's the potter. We're the clay. And we don't argue with him. Or we shouldn't argue with him. Hallelujah. He can stretch us out or thin us out. Whatever he chooses, he's got the design in his mind. Let him have his way. You know, the picture that blesses me is in Egypt, when the Pharaoh got so threatened by the multiplication of the Hebrews, he decided the only way to control that was to kill all the males three years and under. So he published that edict. But uh, Jochebed and her husband took and made a little ark out of wood and put some waterproofing in it and pushed it out on the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe, and Moses began to cry. And she fell in love with that little boy. And the devil must be so frustrated because what he attempted to do in destroying all the males she took that little boy home, got the mother, paid the mother to take care of him. He footed the diaper bill, food bill, college bill, and he was God's deliverer, selected and chosen and preserved. And the very thing he was trying to do by, def by destroying all the male children God put the deliverer right in his house and made him take care of him until he grew up. Isn't that neat? Only God, only God is able to do that. We see so much sin, we say, God, why don't you kill the devil? Just get rid of the devil. Instead, he puts his own son on the cross. Because destroying the devil wouldn't have brought redemption to us. 
that putting his son on the cross bought my redemption and purchased my salvation. It's not the way I would do it, but it's the way he does, does it. He does it right. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, but he does it the right way. Don't argue, Isaiah said, with the potter. Don't strive with him and say, God, you're all, you're all thumbs. Things aren't working out. That vessel designed becomes a vessel damaged. And that happens when we are not responsive to his will, when we do not remain pliable. Some part is not pliable to his touch. It is destroyed when it is unyielding and unresponsive to the touch and pressure of the master's hand. But when we make those bad choices, he can take that clay and start over center it again, start working again according to the design as it pleases him. You've got to keep that in mind, as it pleases him. And that probably needs to be reread again. Go back with me. I just want to show you here, verse 4, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. That's usually where we stop. That's usually for us the end of the story, but that's not the end of the lesson God had for Jeremiah. You need to go with me to chapter 19 and understand that the chapter breaks are man-made. They are not inspired. So it's still part of the same picture, the same message, the same ministry that God had for Jeremiah. Verse 1 of chapter 19, Thus saith the Lord, Go and get a potter's earthen bottle. Take of the ancients of the people and of the ancients of the priests and go to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell thee. Now just skip over with me to verse 10. Then thou shalt break the bottle in the sight of the men that go with thee, and shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Even so will I break this people and this city as one breaketh a potter's vessel. That cannot be made whole again. And they shall bury them in Topeth, till there be no place to bury. And the reason for this is tucked away in verse 15. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it. Here it is. Because they have hardened their necks and they, that they might not hear my words. That's the rest of the message. A vessel designed can become a vessel damaged. That damaged vessel can be duplicated, but also there is a vessel that is destroyed. This earthen vessel, God said to Jeremiah, take a completed, hardened, finished product. Take the elders with you to the valley of the son of Hinnom, and there speak what I tell you. What did God tell him? There smash this vessel and say, thus saith the Lord, this is what I'm going to do to you. Smashing that pottery, 
that earthen vessel so that it can never be repaired again. Why? Because they had stiffened their neck and they would not hear the word of the Lord. Proverbs. Turn there and mark this in your Bible. It is so important with this passage. Proverbs 29, verse 1. Listen to me. He that is often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. That vessel shall be broken that can never be recovered. It can never be remade. It can never be mended again. He that is often reproved and stiffeneth his neck and hardens his heart shall suddenly be smashed like that vessel in Jeremiah's hands and that without remedy. There comes a point when that vessel is no longer pliable, when it becomes hardened, unresponsive, when, as is very clearly stated in the last verse of that chapter, stating the reason without, without stuttering at all, because they have hardened their necks, that they might not hear my words. It's important for us to appreciate this last feature. There is a time I know not when. There is a place I know not where that marks the destiny of men to heaven or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path is the hidden boundary between God's mercy and his wrath. Can I read that again to you? I feel it's important that we hear it. There is a time I know not when, a place I know not where, that marks the destiny of men to heaven or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path. Tis the hidden boundary between God's mercy and his wrath. Judas had had the high privilege of being called by the Lord to be a disciple, one of the twelve who would walk beside him, witness his miracles, participate with him in his ministry. There came a time when choices were made and he chose to betray the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And in the garden, he identified him with a kiss. When Jesus was going to the cross, he took that money back to the high priest and into their chambers, threw that money on the floor. And they said, we can't return this money to the treasury. It's blood money. It has been used for execution. What shall we do with it? And a decision was made that they would buy the potter's field. The potter's field is the field out back of the potter's house where all of the broken pieces that cannot be mended are thrown. That field is good for nothing. It can't be tilled or 
Nothing can be grown. All of the broken potsherds are there. They bought that field and Judas was buried in that field. Speaking the fact that as a vessel like Jeremiah had in his hands was smashed without recovery. He that is often hear this preacher tell you this morning that once you leave this earth, there are no choices to be made anymore. The only power of choice you have is in this service while you still live and breathe. And you can let Jesus Christ center your life in him and begin to fashion and design your life according to his will and his purpose. But if we choose to go our own way and we hear what he says, but we, we stiffen our neck and we say, I won't go that way. I want to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to control my own life and I'm going to fulfill my own destiny. You can do that. God will not force us in any direction. But we must face then the consequences of our own choice of what we choose, either his way or our own way. Last Sunday afternoon, I switched on the television and I turned to Channel 40 and I listened to a marvelous black preacher, E.V. Hill. He was preaching at Lynchburg University to a group of students. How many might have saw that broadcast? It was an uncomfortable subject. I have to tell you, I squirmed a bit there. I sat there, and it's not a popular subject. I don't know when I've heard a message on that before, and especially on television. Of all things to preach to a group of college kids and over TV preached on hell. Kind of lost that out of our vocabulary, haven't we? But you know, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And in his marvelous way, he just had a way of getting right to the issue. And he said to them, kids, you can't stay here. What he meant by that was, you got to leave this earth. Where are you going to go? And the strong implication was, there's no guarantee that you get 100 years here because the graves are filled with people who are teenagers too. Where are you going to go? He said, you can't stay here. And what I liked, he said, you have to have a reservation to get to heaven. For hell, you don't need a reservation. That's where you go without reservations. When you die. And pretty soon, my spirit became more and more impressed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm persuaded the churches of America theologically accept that in their mind, but they don't really believe it in their heart. Somehow we have the idea God is just a good God and everybody's going to just be treated to an eternity. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And if you're interested in what the Bible says, you need to know that there's a heaven prepared by Jesus for those who know him, and there's a hell forever. Jesus describes it as where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, where there is no death. And he said after he had preached that same message 
In a given city, a man came forward and was weeping, went home, and his wife felt he had lost his mind. He didn't go to work. He packed his clothes, got an airline ticket, and flew to Texas. He said, my brother is lost. And if he dies without the Lord, that's where he'll be. He got there on Friday. His brother was baptized in water on Sunday. You see, I'm persuaded that's the difference between believing it up here and really believing it down here. Because if we really believed it down here, we would know that what Jeremiah did there in that 19th chapter with that vessel, that there truly comes a point when that vessel is shattered and cannot be mended, shall suddenly be destroyed that without remedy. Father, I pray that you will minister to us this morning truth that will become more than mental assent and more than doctrinal creed, but will so live in us that it will be lived out by us. I thank you for the grace-filled message of Jeremiah 18 where the master potter takes us and makes us into a vessel of honor even when we mess it up. He's able to make it again another vessel. If we'll stay yielded and pliable, he gives us a second chance. He's the God who calls Jonah again the second time and sends him on his way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah again and sent him on his way. He's the God who makes Samson's hair grow again and empower him anew. He's the God that allows Jacob to go back to Bethel. He's the God who's able to help us this morning with our mid-course correction to get on course to doing what God designed us for even before we were born. Help us to understand that those that we love and know, if they leave this world without Jesus Christ, their vessel will be destroyed, and that without remedy. Minister to us today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, and I am persuaded we're not here just casually because this was a Sunday morning and we decided to go to church. I believe God prepared us for this moment. I believe he prepared the message in my spirit for you. And I believe you're here by divine appointment this morning because he has something good in his heart to accomplish. Just as a nation, if they will repent and turn and listen, he said, I'll repent of the evil that I had in store for you. God can turn your eternity around this morning. You can know him as your personal savior. If your life has been wiggling and wobbling all over the place and you would like to know what it is to be saved, to know Jesus Christ as your savior, the master potter is here to center you on the wheel. 
start a work that will fashion you into a vessel of beauty and service and usefulness, purpose, meaning. Life without that really doesn't have much meaning. It's just we're here for a few years and we're gone. But oh, the Lord Jesus has a real purpose for you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to get personal with you this morning and ask you, would you like to know him as your Savior? This is not anything to do with the assemblies of God. This only has to do with being responsive to the potter and letting him have your life. Not half measures. I'm not talking about a part of you. I want you to give your haul to Jesus Christ this morning. I'm not interested in having you make a half-hearted or half-commitment. I only want those who are sincere to say, I want the Lord to have all of my life, and I want to spend eternity with Him. Would you raise your hand? Just put it up and right back down. I promise I'll not embarrass you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, you can have all of me. I hold nothing back. And I don't fear that you're going to have me do something that I don't want to do. I believe and trust in you enough that you love me to place me where I will be right for that situation. And you'll be for me everything I need. How many others? Just put it up and right back down. Thank you. Someone that says, I need a mid-course correction, Pastor. I've stubbed my toe. I've made some bad mistakes. I've made some bad decisions. I wonder, can I get back where God wants me to be? Yes, you can. You need to get back on course. Let me see your hand this morning. Just put it up right back down. Just thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 